Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Our group is self-supporting through the seven traditions, so if you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating. You can do this with either Venmo or PayPal at New Life Speakers. Links to these can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org, or you can use the link in the description. We greatly appreciate your generosity. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can also be found on our website. Again, that's newlifespeakers.org. And if you know some people in need, please share this with them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. My name is Matt. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. Um, I'll start from the beginning. I'm going to try to focus mostly on the steps because we could all sit here all day and talk about our alcohol abuse and drug use for some of us. Um, and I'm going to try to leave drugs out of it as most as I can. But it is a part of my story. Um, so I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, my sobriety date is uh, May 6th, 2018. Um, my home group is Med Advents, Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Good meeting. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up in Reading. <clears throat> just me and my mom. My dad was never really in my life. Um, and I had a pretty good childhood. My mom um, raised me well, and uh, I never really had to struggle for anything. I always had a roof over my head and food on the table. Um, I went to a private school up until sixth grade, and it was small. There was about 12 kids in, in my class, and when I hit sixth grade, I just didn't really feel like, I didn't feel comfortable there. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up here, really. Um, so I asked her, we had moved to Sinking Spring at that point, And I asked her, I said, Mom, can I move to our public school? You know, I, I had friends at this private school, but um, since it was private, people were all, you know, kids were all over the place. And it was hard for me to hang out with my friends and, and do that sort of stuff because some people live 30 minutes away and whatnot. So, you know, I just wanted to have friends that I could hang out with, really. That was the ultimate goal for me. Um, so she said yes, and in seventh grade, I started going to uh, Wilson Southern, and I didn't know anybody. I was uncomfortable, as I had been my whole life before that, and I found myself already kind of morphing into somebody else, depending on who was in my class or how the people in my class acted. And that's kind of where it all started for me. I met this kid who uh, ended up being the kid to introduce me to everything. And I remember one day, early on in seventh grade, he said, have you ever smoked weed? And I said, no, I haven't. And um, he asked me if I wanted to. So that day after school, we, uh, we walked back to my house. And I smoked weed for the first time behind my shed while my stepfather was on dialysis. And that plays a big role in, in my uh, using, too. Is From then on, it was kind of a regular occurrence for me to smoke weed. And um, every day after school, before I could go out and play, I'd have to go home and take my stepdad off dialysis. But right before I did that, I had to smoke a little bit, of course. So that's how early seventh grade went for me and smoking really introduced me to more people and it kind of made me feel like I fit into some group 
so that's that progressed a little bit going through seventh grade and it wasn't out of control yet I mean I don't think it's ordinary for a 13 year old to smoke weed um, in general but um, I continued that and and slowly I noticed my my grades were dropping um, I wasn't doing well I was always in detention and uh, soon after that I was introduced to more dry goods and it took off from there at an early age for me and then when I got to eighth grade I, I took my first drink and I remember <clears throat> it was after school and uh, we went over to one of our friends house to have a drink and I had never drank before so I didn't really know what to expect um, but I remember when I took that first sip it was you know I immediately felt like I fit into another group as well and with adding more substances to my uh, checklist I just found more groups that I fit into so it was really essentially what I've always been looking for is to fit in somewhere and uh, my first time drunk I remember I could just be myself and uh, you know nobody judged me and I fit in like I said so it started to be a normal occurrence for me to you know do some dry goods before school and then after school we would go all drink and, and have a good time and it wasn't until ninth grade that my habits were uh, seen as bad I, I started having a lot of my friends tell me that you know you really shouldn't be doing all this stuff and I said you know it's it's just it's easier it helps me get through it helps me fit in it helps me have friends and uh on April, late, late April, I, uh, I had a girlfriend and she broke up with me. So of course I did what every alcoholic and drug addict does. And I drank my problems away. And that was the last thing that I remember until I woke up in rehab on April 21st, 2013. And it was, uh, it was uncomfortable, of course. I was I was 15 and I'd only used for 2 years and I said to myself, you know, how how is it possible that I could have landed myself in rehab after only using and drinking for 2 years? And at this point, drinking I was a blackout drinker, but I didn't drink every day. Um so I I had a real hard time accepting my position and my, um, you know, my issues. And I remember I was the youngest one. I went to Karen and I remember I was the youngest one by like five years, I'd say. And, uh, I just didn't feel like I belonged anymore to anything. Um, the, the substances that made me feel welcome and it made me feel like part of something I, I could no longer do. And I stayed there for a month. And after I got out of rehab, I remember going to my first meeting. It was uh, the 515 on Wednesday over by Alvernia. Um, and, and I still, I just didn't feel like I belonged. But I, I thought, you know, what choice do I have? I'm, I'm 15 years old. I'm living at home. I'm still a kid. My parents really have the ultimate say in my life right now because... 
I, I, I can't make decisions on my own yet. So I, I continued to go to meetings. I would put my hand up. Um, it was tough because there's more young people around today, I feel, but in, in, 20, in 2013, I just, you know, the next closest person to my age was like 30, 40 years old. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm 15. I'm going to meetings. I, you know, there's nobody my age. Um, and I would just bitch and moan the whole time. But I eventually got a sponsor and we started going through the steps and I slowly started to accept my position a little bit more, but I still totally wasn't sure that I was an alcoholic. You know, I would always hang on to, I would always hang on to the idea of, I didn't drink for that long or I didn't use for that long. Um, and I just really couldn't come to terms with being an alcoholic. I, I didn't know. And, uh, you know, I, I continued to go through the steps and, I remember when I got to step four, I believe, I just, I stopped. I was like, I know I don't, I'm fine without the steps, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I won't, I won't do them. You know, I don't need to. And I would say I was about a year in at that point and I was going to meetings. I had a sponsor. I didn't really call him that much. Um, I wasn't really doing anything for my recovery except going to meetings and that went on for me for about another year or two. I would go to meetings when I was feeling shitty, but when I was feeling good, I wouldn't. So I was going to maybe, you know, a handful of meetings a month because it would come Thursday night or Tuesday night. And I'd say, oh, you know, I'm feeling good. I don't really need a meeting. You know, I'll go. I'd go if I was feeling like crap, but I really, I really don't. So I wouldn't go. I would find something else to do, some excuse. Um, and it went on for, for almost two years like that. And I remember one day my, spon my first sponsor called me and he said, hey, man, I just wanted to uh, let you know and I wanted you to be the first to know that um, I decided not to be in AA anymore. I, I, had a, I had a drink the other night and, you know, it didn't really get out of hand. So I think I could control it a little bit better this time. And uh, that was the first person in my support group that had gone out. And it kind of struck me differently because at that time, you know, I was still thinking, you know, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. And with my sponsor calling me and telling me that he thinks he could drink successfully, that was kind of just more ammo to me to, you know, think maybe I'm not an alcoholic. He did it. Maybe I can do it too. Um, so I stayed sober. I got a new sponsor. And when I was about three years sober, I was at a Christmas party, a family Christmas party. And I remember I was grabbing a mixed drink. There was a non-alcoholic version and an alcoholic version. They were, they were separated. And I, I had the non-alcoholic version and then I was going to get a refill. And I was like, oh, you know, th there's one right here. It's closer. I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. And I started drinking it and uh, somebody came up to me and they were like, be careful if you're driving home. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, there's alcohol in there. And I was like, shit. And that was the first real situation I had put myself in, in sobriety. And uh, I called my sponsor, I dumped it out. And uh, he told me, 
to, uh, <clears throat> he told me not to share this at meetings because people might, people might, um, you know, steer my thinking the wrong way and tell me I relapsed when I did it. And I was kind of blown away that he told me not to share it because, you know, going to meetings and, and stuff like that, you know, I'm, I was taught to share those kinds of things, especially, um, but I listened to him. I didn't bring it up at meetings and I kind of just put it in my back pocket and never talked about it really. And went on with my sobriety or dryness. And uh, at that point I was a senior in high school and I was ready to apply to colleges. And I knew that I didn't want to go away to college because in my head I'm thinking, you know, if I go live at college, it's only a matter of time before I start drinking. And still in the back of my head, I'm thinking, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. So I'm applying to colleges. I get accepted to Alvernia. I start going there. I'm commuting the first year so that I can meet people and kind of try to find a group of people who don't drink, not necessarily that are sober, but a group that doesn't drink much because I did want to live there. Um, but I wanted you know, I wanted to know who I was living with and I wanted to not have to come back to my room to parties all the time. So freshman year, I start seeing this girl and uh, she's a big drinker. And I start, uh, you know, my meetings aren't very strong. I don't have a support group. I have a sponsor to say I have a sponsor. <clears throat> I'm not using the phone. I'm not doing step work. So, uh, you know, I started seeing this girl and I ended up, you know, going to her dorm for pregame. You know, I'm going over there. I'm hanging out while she's drinking and while they're all getting drunk. And I'm not drinking. I feel so uncomfortable. I'm just sitting over in the corner with my tail between my legs because, you know, I, I, I never learned how to socialize and I never got the tools and I never worked the steps and so without alcohol, I was still kind of uncomfortable and still lost. And, you know, I was just sitting over in the corner. And I I remember doing that for a while. I would go over there. I would leave when they went to the bar. I would come back when they came back, when she came back. And, uh, you know, some time went on of continuing that. And then soon I started to smell the alcohol she would go to the bathroom and she, she knew I was sober and so she would go to the bathroom and then I'd pick the glass up and I'd pretend to drink it and uh you know just to get a reaction and then I remember a little bit of time went on and we ended up breaking up and I would I think in my head I was always looking for a reason to drink again I just you know, I was still living at home, so it was hard for me to make my own decisions, per se, because, you know, I always, I had someone to answer to. Um, and, you know, this was now sophomore year of college, so I'm living there, and I have no one to answer to. I can do what I want. Nobody would know, so I thought. So we broke up, and I remember I thought, this is the perfect excuse to drink. I've, so I've figured out my problems. And <clears throat> I remember I, I had to text up 100 people because I was 20 at the time. So I couldn't buy my own alcohol. I didn't have a fake or anything. 
And uh, I was texting people like, hey, can you, do you have any alcohol you can give me? Blah, blah, blah. And all my friends knew I was in recovery, so everyone was saying no. So it was really hard for me to try to get alcohol. But I finally got my hand on some boxed wine. And I had my, I was, I don't know why I was doing it, but I was filling up water bottles full. And I remember texting her and I said, are we done? And I, I had it in my mind. If she said yes, I was getting hammered. And if she said no, maybe I, I would rethink it. But uh, she said yes, and then I went off. And I drank a bit. I remember thinking, what did I, what am I doing? You know, I was sober for, I was sober for almost four years at that point. And, you know, I'm thinking, I just, you know, I just do a four years away for what? So I called my sponsor. I told him I relapsed and... He picked me up with another guy and brought me to Thursday night meeting. And I remember sitting in the Thursday night meeting drunk and thinking, what, what the hell am I doing here? Drunk, you know, this is the last place I feel like I should be. And, um, I remember I had to get up to go to the bathroom and I was petrified because I could not walk straight. And I was in the back of the room, which really summarizes my recovery because I'm always in relapse row and here I am in relapse row relapsing. Um, but I remember, you know, the meeting ended, I went home and, you know, I was still upset. I realized that I had fucked up, but the next day I was working on a paper and, uh, it was for my psych class and it was about AA and I remember finishing the paper and then I thought to myself I'm not going to throw four years away on a buzz so I you know I, I texted some people and got more alcohol and then from there on for about four months I was blacking out I was drinking like Thursday through Monday and I was blacking out every time and my uh it was it didn't take long for my roommates to uh sit me down and have a talk with me about how they can't enjoy themselves at parties because they're always worried about me and taking care of me and you know I'm listening to them but I'm I'm just you know in one one ear and out the other I don't want to hear it you know I said you know well then don't worry about me then you know it's not that hard to not worry about me because I still didn't think that my drinking was affecting other people and this is really where my drinking took off. I remember when I relapsed, I uh, I would sit with one of my other friends with a beer and I would explain to them how I could control my drinking now. And I would sit with her for like hours just telling her, you know, this is what I'm doing this time. You know, see, I told you I could drink. It's been an hour and I've had one. And then that would be the last thing I remember because I would prove my point and then I would just black out. Um, and that went on for about four months and uh, I started failing all my classes. I was falling behind. I'd, I'd go to the library to study drunk and it, it did not work out for me. Um, the last night that I drank was on Cinco de Mayo and... Uh, Again, as every night started, I was explaining why I could drink successfully. And then the next thing I know, I wake up in the hospital um, because my roommates 
put me to sleep after I had passed out. And they, they put me on my back, so I started, I started uh, choking on my vomit, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they rushed me to the hospital. And I remember when I got home, I plugged my phone in, and it turned on, and I had like 40 missed calls from my mom. And I was like, shit. I knew that my secret was out because I hadn't talked to her for a few months because I knew that if she knew I was drinking, then it would, you know, she would just rain on my parade and ruin my fun. So I called her back and I explained to her what had been going on with me for the last few months. And, uh, you know, I decided to give AA another try. I, I tried to prove my theory of not being an alcoholic because I was young, because I didn't drink much, and it had not worked out. So I started going to meetings again. I was about five days sober, and I went to EDI, I forget why. It was for a dance, I believe. And there, I, I just... I was outside the whole time. I didn't go inside once, I don't think, and I was just chain smoking cigarettes. And uh, I didn't want to drink anymore, but I was just so, I had a million things running through my head. You know, I, I relapsed. I, uh, I failed a class because of my drinking, so now I was a year behind. Um, you know, I threw four years down the drain, and I just wasn't happy. And it was about time for me to leave. So I was getting ready to leave. And then two guys came up to me and introduced themselves to me, two guys my age. And they asked me, you know, how I was doing, you know, how long I had, all that. Excuse me. And they, were, they said, you know, we're going to the diner. Do you want to come with? And I was like, I was trying to think of a quick excuse. I had no intentions of going. So I was like, um... I said, oh, you know, I'd go, but I don't really have any money. And then one of them goes, well, I didn't ask you if you had money. I asked if you wanted to go. So then I knew that I was stuck and I had to go. So we went to the West Reading Diner. And uh, I just let it all out to him, really. For the first time I, in my first run in sobriety, I, I didn't really talk about my feelings. Because once I got to the fourth step, I just stopped. You know, I didn't want to do anymore. So I spilled it out to him. Um, you know, I told him what was going on. I told him I wanted to kill myself. You know, I just didn't really have any intentions of drinking, but I didn't have any intentions of being alive, really. So we started going to, uh, that's when I started going to the men's group. They invited me to the Tuesday men's group, which is now my home group. And that night, I asked one of the guys to be my sponsor, and he is still my sponsor to this day. Um, and I truly gave an attempt at the steps because, you know, I, I heard I heard a lot of people say before, you know, coming back from a relapse before I had mine that it doesn't get any better, you know, and, and all the things that we hear time after time again. But unfortunately... I thought that I was different than everybody else, like everyone else thinks, and I needed to try it out for myself. So once I debunked that theory, 
um, I was able to come to terms with, you know, saying maybe, maybe I am an alcoholic. So we started working on the steps and, you know, we had a long talk about step one and about being powerless. And, you know, I, I, he asked me, you know, are you powerless over alcohol? I said, yes. And he asked me why. And I, I used the example I just mentioned. And um, for the first time, I really believed that I was powerless over alcohol. Um, you know, and, and we started to go through the steps. And that's when I realized that, you know, in my head, I always believed that to be an alcoholic, you had to drink for many years. You had to be homeless or close to it. You had to have your whole life crash before you. And I really didn't have any of that. You know, I never, I never had any real consequences of my drinking and using. And I think for me, the first time around, that was my biggest obstacle was, you know, accepting that and, and saying, how can I be an alcoholic if I never had any consequences because of my drinking. And that's when my sponsor pointed out to me that, you know, not, not everybody's bottoms are the same. If I continue to drink and continue to do the dry goods that I was doing, the yets become, you know, have happened. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have to let my drinking get to that point to be an alcoholic. And he told me that I need to you know, one of the biggest things is to not make my bottom what other people's are. Everyone has their own bottom. And if I make my bottom what it was when I got sober the second time, then that's, you know, as far as it has to get for me. Um, and that's when it really started to all make sense. And I started to accept my position and I started to, I started to be grateful of you know, where I was at and grateful that I didn't have to get DUIs. I didn't have to die to, uh, to stop drinking and to stop using. So we started going through the steps and step two, um, I grew up, you know, like I said, I, I grew up going to a Christian school and, you know, going to Bible study and going to church, but I always struggled with the idea of God. Um, you know, I, I didn't believe that God wasn't real, but I didn't know, I didn't know what he was. Um, so my sponsor told me, you know, just to start praying every day, every morning. Um, so I started praying and, you know, I was, I was still struggling at that time. I was still pretty early on. I had like maybe two weeks or something. I, I wanted to just dive in because I knew what not to do at this point and holding off on the steps or not doing the steps I knew didn't work. So I thought, you know, maybe this time if I just jump into it, you know, that's something I haven't tried yet. Maybe it'll work better for me. So I was about two weeks sober and, you know, I, I always heard about these spiritual experiences and, you know, I always thought they were you know, a load when people would share about them. And, you know, I think that it was kind of ridiculous. But uh, I was talking to one of the guys that had picked me up after I relapsed. And uh, he took me to a, a meeting that day. 
And I remember sitting in the meeting and, you know, two weeks in, I was still, my mind was racing. You know, I was, I had all these thoughts about the what ifs, you know, what if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? And uh, he gets up and goes outside for, you know, to have a cigarette in the, in the middle of the meeting. And he's a, he's a big, uh, he's big on religion and big on God. So when he came back in, I had all these racing, I, I had all these racing thoughts when he, when he left and, uh, you know, nonstop for the past two weeks. And, um, I remember when he came back in, it was the weirdest feeling because this meeting was focused. It was, it was a more spiritual meeting than I had been to before. I, I it was my first time at a meeting like this. And I remember when he came back in, it was weird because, you know, all the things that I was worrying about and all of the problems that I thought I had instantly just like went away. And all I could hear in my head, it was like I was in an empty hallway and all I could hear was the, the person who was sharing. And it was like echoing in my head and it, I was so confused. I didn't know like what was going on, but I was like, you know, I, I had never been so calm, I guess is the word. And so focused on the moment. And none of the problems really mattered anymore at that time. And I knew this guy and I knew every time before he goes into a meeting, he asked God to follow him into the meeting. So I leaned over and I was like, hey, you know, did you, did you pray outside by chance? And he said he did. So then I was like, I got the goosebumps and I shared what I just shared to him after the meeting. And that was the first real spiritual experience that I've had. And um, I no longer thought that the people who shared about them in meetings were full of it. Um, you know, because I had experienced one for myself. So a little time went on. And uh, when I got to step two, and I could, <clears throat> this time around, I could honestly, you know, believe that something greater than me could get me sober because I tried before with no higher power and it, it didn't work. Because this time, you know, I, I was, I was so focused on, okay, what didn't I do the first time? that didn't work. And what can I do this time? Well, take, you know, besides take suggestions. Um, so I, I found a higher power who I call God. And, um, you know, I, I truly believe that he could do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And that was to keep me sober. Um, so once I got to step three, you know, I was, I was ready to, finally give my will to somebody else because I didn't want to run the show anymore because it just wasn't working out how I wanted it to work out. Um, you know, I, I had always heard people say how their will got them drunk. And, you know, I, I truly believe that now. And, you know, I just didn't want the responsibility of running my life anymore because, you know, I didn't really get myself anywhere but into trouble. So when I got to step five, um, this is the first time that I really had to look at myself, you know, because I, I thought that everyone else did stuff to me and I had no part in it. You know, I'm a perfect guy. You know, I don't do anything wrong. Everyone just wrongs me. So taking a look at myself and owning up to what I've done was a challenge. And 
you know, it kind of really shrunk my ego and it put me to size with everybody else. Um, and it made me realize that I'm not so special. So, you know, step six, I was ready for that as well. You know, I was ready for God to take it all away because I didn't want to deal with it all anymore. And when it came down to the, the list, um, the eighth step, it was really, it was eye-opening to me because, you know, my sponsor told me to, you know, he, he explained the list to me because, again, I had never done the steps. I got to step four and that was it. That was enough for me. Um, so making a list was kind of where I struggled and where I got stuck for a little bit. And, you know, it was, it was hard because again, I, I just, I didn't think that I harmed anyone or that I did anyone wrong. So it was, uh, it was a struggle for me to really own up to it and really find what I did wrong. And, um, they kind of, you know, they say not to sit on it for a while. And I, I quickly realized why, because all the stuff that I, you know, even stuff I forgot about that I was bringing up to the surface, it kind of made me feel like shit. And when I realized that, I said to my sponsor, you know, I, I, I wanted to get through it quick and get it over with because I didn't like how it made me feel. Um, so, you know, when I got to the amends, it didn't, it didn't go as I planned it to go. Um, I remember when I got out of rehab going back the first time, um, I remember, you know, I had no idea about the steps. I, I knew of them and I knew what they were, but I didn't know how it worked with the whole sponsor and all that. So I remember I would, uh, the first amend, the first amends I made was there was this girl that I was talking to before I went to rehab. And I thought maybe if I made an amend door, she would talk to me again. So I, I, uh, I called her up and I was just, I made my amend and I said, sorry. And I did all the things you're not supposed to do. And, uh, it didn't work out my way. Um, so, you know, when I, when I decided to actually do my amends, um, and my sponsor had guided me and told me, what to say and what not to say. Um, it kind of made me uncomfortable. I remember the first one I did was my mom, which I thought would be the hardest. And I quickly realized that it, that was not the hardest one. I remember <clears throat> sitting down and I asked her, you know, what can I do to show you that I'm, you know, that I'm changed. And she said, stay sober. And I knew that would be her answer. Um, but it was the ones that I wasn't sure, the ones that I wasn't sure what their response would be that were the most challenging ones. Like I had said, you know, in the beginning of my story, my dad was never in my life. Um, when my mom met my stepdad, he, uh, I would see him on the weekends up until I was, I guess, uh, seven or six. And then once my mom and my stepdad, he, you know, one weekend, you know, he asked, it was my weekend to go over there. And I, I say, you know, I don't want to, you know, Jeff, Jeff's kids are over. And that was the last I heard from him. So from the time I was seven until 
15, I, I didn't have any contact with him. And when I was 15, when I was in rehab, my mom thought it would be a good idea for him to come to the, the, the treatment center to have a talk. And it turned out to be a complete, a very horrible idea for that um, to happen. So fast forwarding back to the present day, when I was doing my amends, I knew that I had to, you know, talk to him because he was one of the people that I felt like I did no wrong to. You know, I was so young. You know, why why was it on me to try to have a relationship with him? Um, you know, the phone was very one-sided. You know, we wouldn't talk unless I called him. So, you know, in my head, I'm. it's one of those amends where, you know, as much as I searched, I couldn't. I couldn't find my part in it. So for the first time in a while, we, you know, I, I called him and I asked if I can come up to, to his house and, so we could talk. And uh, I remember the whole way up there, I was just like shaking uncontrollably because I was angry. I was, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous. And um, when we got up, when we got, when I got to his house, he, uh, you know, and I was starting my amends, I had to, you know, pretty much give him my whole story because he was under the impression that I was sent away to rehab for smoking weed. You know, he, he really didn't know anything about what was going on, going on in my life. So, um, you know, I kind of gave him the rundown when I was up there and it, it turned out to be you know, he had a better response than I would have expected. And because of that, you know, we're able to have a relationship today because, you know, of all the miscommunication and of all the, you know, things that I was going through, it, it really prevented that relationship from happening when I was so young. And that's when I finally realized my part in that. And, uh, you know, today we're able to have a, somewhat of a relationship and it still is a work in progress and it'll probably never be perfect. But, you know, that's, uh, that's thanks to the, you know, the steps of AA, you know, I'm able to have a relationship with the person who I never wanted a relationship with. Um, you know, and, and, Going to the present day, you know, I, I still, there's still amends that I have not made. And, um, you know, there are some amends that I will never get to, you know, make face to face because my sponsor said that if those amends are going to bring up stuff and, and hurt the other person, then, you know, they're not necessary to make face to face, you know, write them down, you know, read the letter to me, read, you know, just put the letter away, burn it, um, you know, whatever I feel, you know, is necessary for me. Um, but today, I'm able to, you know, have a purpose. And, I, you know, it's thanks to the steps that I am able to have, you know, a life beyond my wildest dreams. And it's not, it's not perfect today. Um, you know, I still have roadblocks and obstacles and Stuff doesn't go my way, um, but I have a way around that, and I have a way to deal with that instead of running to the drink. Um, 
recently I graduated college and um, I had to take this, I had to take my boards to start working and I failed them. And the first thing I didn't think of was a drink. You know, I was devastated, but I called my sponsor. Um, I talked to people about it and uh, I didn't do that at first. I I did what I know doesn't work, and that's isolate myself in my room because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to face it because I had told a million people that I was taking it, and then I failed. So now if I leave my room, I have to go face everybody that I told I took it, and I got to say I didn't pass 90,000 times. But you know, after keeping it to myself for a few days, I quickly realized that this is not going to get better unless I – use my tools that I have to, uh, to just deal with it and face it. Um, you know, with that problem, if I was drinking, if I even got to that point in my life, I would have just drank until I didn't think about it anymore. And when I could consciously think, I would just drink so it would go away again. Um, but today I can deal with those problems that come up in my life in a healthy way and in a productive way. And I can look at it and I can say, you know, what can I do to change a situation? And what can I do? And it comes down to the serenity prayer for me. And I, I, I've been saying that a lot lately, you know, because there are things that are out of my control that I try to control. And, you know, I, I know from experience and I saw that, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. And I can only fix what I can fix and, uh, you know, learn from it and, and just keep going forward. Um, but you know, today I'm able to have meaningful relationships. I'm able to have fun in sobriety, which I didn't think was, you know, a sentence having fun in sobriety. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to an MGK concert. I don't even listen to him. I don't even like him, but I'm going with a group of sober people because why not? You know, um, I have to get out of my comfort zone today, um, you know, because once I start getting comfortable, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not growing. And I was told that by my sponsor as well. Um, you know, I was, I remember early in sobriety, he, uh, he asked me how often I, I share my story. And I, I think I did once in the collective, like, four and a half years I was sober because I was petrified of it. And, um, you know, that's something that I've been trying to do more. I, uh, I can't say no, no matter how much I want to, or, you know, how, uh, nervous I get. I, I can't say no. It's, uh, it's part of giving back. And, you know, if somebody gets something out of this tonight, then me saying yes, was worth it, you know, even one person. And, you know, today I, I have accepted, you know, that I don't have to have a horrible bottom to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. Um, my bottom is what I make it. And, you know, I, I was able to, to catch myself or be caught before I had DOIs, before I ended up in jail um, or before I died. I had a friend who, uh, I grew up with in high school, the one who introduced me to weed. 
And uh, a few years ago, he was coming to meetings with me. And, you know, I was, I was trying to help him out. And uh, a few months ago, he overdosed on heroin. And, you know, it was the first death that I've had to deal with sober. That was very personal. And um, for a while, you know, I thought, you know, maybe there's something I could have done. You know, maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I could have helped him get sober, you know, more forced him to go to meetings. And it took me a little bit to realize that the only thing that I can do is to be there for him or anybody who, you know, who needs the help. And I, I can't, I can't force somebody to get sober. The only thing, the only thing I can do is be an example of what sobriety is. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people that I know that I went to high school with or that, you know, were my age that I used to see a lot aren't around anymore. And, uh, you know, I've learned that I've learned not to try to chase them or try to be so persistent <clears throat> with them and just, you know, to be here. And that was hard for me to accept at first because I thought that if I'm not running after them, then, you know, their death is my fault, um, which I know is completely untrue. Um, but, you know, I just have to use those experiences to try to find the good in it. And, and the, the good that I find in those situations is that at least I'm sober today and, uh, you know, I'm able to give back to the program what was given to me. And I try to make progress in that every day. I'm not perfect. I don't, uh, I don't do a, you know, a perfect job every day. But the only thing that I have to do perfect, according to AA, is to not drink. And thankfully, I've done that. And, um, you know, it's given me the opportunity like this one to get out of my comfort zone and share my story. And, uh, you know, to hopefully help the next person that comes through the rooms that isn't sure if they are an alcoholic, that hopefully I or we can... Uh, can show them that, you know, they don't have to go back and figure it out for themselves. Um, like a lot of us seem to feel the need to do because we're all different. Um, and that's all I got. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.